If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the Old Testament book of First Kings, if you will. We'll be in First Kings, and we're actually going to look at a number of different passages today, which, as you know, is quite different than what we typically do. Usually what we do is we get in a text, and we just stay there the whole time. I may reference some other things, but, uh, but usually our text is just one little section. But today, we're actually going to look at texts from four different chapters, and it's all going to be up on the, uh, up on the screen I know First Kings is not as not as easy to find as um, as you know like Genesis is or something like that, but um, but what we're going to do is we're going to look at four different sections from the life of a certain woman in the Bible. Now you might remember we've been doing kind of a biographical sketch of some of the uh, some of the biblical characters that we read about. We sort of did that with David on Father's Day last week. We continued that. And we looked at Noah and his life um, out of the book of Genesis. And today we're going to go to the other end of the spectrum from both David and uh, from from Noah. And we're going to look at the woman Jezebel. Now you may or may not be familiar with Jezebel. If you've been in church for a while, you probably know that's not a a real positive connotation with the name Jezebel. And that is for good reason. I, I would venture to guess, even if you don't know who Jezebel is, you probably don't know any person named Jezebel today. Now you probably know some Marys, you probably know some, some Abigails, maybe, maybe, a, maybe a Martha or two. You probably know some other people, some, some other women's names that show up in the Bible, but I would venture to guess you don't know anybody named Jezebel. And for good reason, because she was, she was a scoundrel. She was wicked, idolatrous, she loved evil, and hated God. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at her life. And we're, it's not going to be something to emulate. Sometimes, sometimes our lives, or not, hopefully not our lives, sometimes people's lives serve not as, uh, not as an example, but rather as a warning of what not to do. So, like I said, we're going to look at a number of different passages. If you found 1 Kings 16, I'd like you to stand with me in honor of God's Word if you're able to. And we're going to read, um, like I said, just a, a few different passages all out of the book of 1 Kings. So, we're going to start in verse... 30. It says, Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. It came about as though it had been a trivial thing for, for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, that he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went to serve Baal, or Baal, and worship him. So he erected an altar to Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. Ahab also made the Asherah. Thus Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Now turn over a page or two, if you would, to chapter 18, and we're going to read verses 3 and 4. This is out of a separate, each of these is out of a, a different episode in Elijah's life, but he interacted with, with Jezebel, and we'll hopefully tie all this together. Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For when Jezebel destroyed the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and provided them with bread and water. Turn over to chapter 19, if you would. We're going to read verses 1 and 2 there. This is yet a different episode. It said, Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and even more, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And then one last time, turn over to uh, chapter 21. And we're going to pick up in verse 20. 
Again, a different episode. Ahab said to Elijah, have you, have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon you, and will bitterly sweep you away, and will cut off, Ahab, cut off from Ahab every male, both bond and free in Israel. This is God speaking to him. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger, and because you have made Israel sin. Of Jezebel, he also has the Lord spoken, saying, The dogs will eat Jezebel in the district of Jezreel. Um, and the one belonging to Ahab, who dies in the city, the dogs will eat. And the one who dies in the field, the birds of the heaven will eat. Surely there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord, because Jezebel, his wife, incited him. He acted very abom- abominably in fo- following idols, according to all that the Amorites had done, whom the, whom the Lord cast out before the sons of Israel. Thank you. you may be seated. Now, I realize at the outset, it seems like those may be somewhat disjointed, and maybe they are, but I'm going to hopefully try and tie all these, these different events together so you can get more of a picture of who Jezebel was and what we can learn both, uh, both well, really most, most negatively uh, from her example. The first thing that I want you to see is, uh, the first thing that I want you to notice is that her example teaches us how important it is to have a good spouse, how important it is to have a good spouse. Now, if you still have your Bible open, and hopefully you do, you can turn back over to chapter 16 and, and verses 30 to 33. And here we're introduced to two of the biggest scoundrels in the Bible. And the kicker is they're married to one another. These are not two people who, 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 were, who were ships that passed in the night. I mean, these, these people were two of the biggest, uh, 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 like I said, scoundrels. They're, they're two of the worst, most wicked people in all of Scripture. And to understand what's going on, we need to get a picture in our minds. Now, I've mentioned this a few times, especially here lately. But in the Old Testament, after Solomon died, the kingdom of Israel, the nation of Israel, was divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. They were two separate kingdoms, had two separate kings, had two separate dynasties on the throne. And so sometimes they got along with one another, sometimes they fought with one another, uh, kind, kind of like siblings do. But, uh, but if you look, it says, it mentions a man by the name of Jeroboam. So Jeroboam was in the northern kingdom of Israel. He, was, he came onto the scene not too long after Solomon died. And so what, what Jeroboam did, and, and you can see this, I think it's back in chapter 12 or something like that. What happened with Jeroboam was... Um, all the people, God had instituted some certain feasts and, and, and things like that, and the people were supposed to all go to Jerusalem to the temple that Solomon had built and do these different festivals and, and feasts and things like that certain times of the year. And so that's in the southern kingdom. Jeroboam's in the northern kingdom, and he says, you know what, if all these people are going from my kingdom down to that kingdom, and, and they're all going down there to the temple and, and worshiping and doing all these things, the people are going to shift their allegiance from me to whatever king's down there. And so he didn't want that to happen, and so he came up with a political move, and so he consulted with some people, and here's what he, here, here was his solution. He made two golden calves. Now, when we think about golden calves in Scripture, we only think of the one we're at. Do you remember? Mount Sinai, right? Moses up on the mountain for 40 days, and the people get impatient because he's getting the Ten Commandments, taking him a while to get back. And so they, they, they go to Moses' brother, Aaron, and they say, hey, make us a god, make us an idol that we can bow down and worship. And so, so Aaron acquiesces to their request, gets all this gold, and makes a golden calf, makes an idol, and all the people begin to worship at this golden calf. And, and here's what they say. They say, 
here is the God who delivered you from Egypt. Now, fast forward to Jeroboam. Jeroboam says, you know what? All these people are going to go down to the temple and worship. I'll make two golden calves, and I'll put them at, at, uh, at Dan, and I'll put one in Bethel. And, and, I'll, and here's what he said. He said, it's going to be a lot more convenient for you. You don't want to go all the way down to Jerusalem. It's going to be a lot more convenient if you just stay close to home. And you can go to this place, and you go to this place, and you can worship. And here's what he said about the calves. This is, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. Almost verbatim what they said at Mount Sinai. And so he institutes this idol worship into Israel. On top of that, you remember that God had said that, that the, the priests were going to serve, and they all had to be from the tribe of Levi. Well, Jeroboam came up with his own priesthood and said anybody can be, uh, from, from any tribe can be a priest. And God said, this, these are certain dates that you have to go down to the, to, to the temple. And Jeroboam said, you know what? I'm going to make up my own feast. It's going to be like the one that God had instituted, but it's going to be a little bit different. And so, so Jeroboam, he, he introduces idolatry. He institutes a, a new worship system. He, he, he does all these things to substitute what God had put in place. And he does that with his own religion. So it's, this is bad. This is what Jeroboam does. Now, if you look back at chapter 16 and verses 30 to 33, there's a line of kings after Jeroboam, and there's a guy who comes onto the scene named Omri. He was a a commander in the military. He ends up becoming the king of Israel. And if you'll notice in verse 30, it says that Omri was more wicked. He, He did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. So Jeroboam is like the bottom of the bottom. And Omri says, oh, yeah? Watch this. And then he goes even worse. But then if, you, if you'll notice, Omri is at the bottom. I mean, he has bottomed it out. He's gotten to rock bottom and started blasting with dynamite, getting his way even lower. And he gets to the bottom. You think he can't get any worse. And the Bible says that Ahab, his son, comes onto the scene, and he does even worse than what Omri did. He said, the Bible says that, 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 that Ahab is worse than Omri. And Omri was worse than everybody else. So this is the worst of the worst. Now, I say all that to say this. Look back at, at our text in, in chapter... Well, we'll back, hold on just one minute. Do you remember what God had said back in Deuteronomy 7? I'm sure you do. In Deuteronomy 7, God had told the people, He said, now when you go into the land, when you go into Canaan, there are going to be all these pagans there that that don't worship God, that don't worship me, He said. He said, don't intermarry with them, and here's why. If you do that, you'll get drawn away from following God. And so this was this command, don't don't be marrying uh, these these foreign people that worship foreign gods. Not because of some sort of like, uh, you know, uh, an ethnic thing, but because it would draw them away from worshiping the one true God. And so the people didn't follow that. And if you'll notice in our text, uh, well, you know, you remember Solomon. He's the wisest man who ever lived, and yet he had hundreds of wives, hundreds of mothers-in-law. And so, um, do what? Lucky guy, that's right. Um, So he had hundreds of mothers-in-law, and if they were like mine, he would have been a lucky guy. But I'm sure that he wasn't that fortunate and you can send this to Robin Mayberry, Blueford, Illinois. Um, anyway, so he has all these wives. Many of them, though, were pagans. And the Bible describes him as, as, as his heart began to depart from the Lord. And so 
So from, from the king on down, people were, were intermarrying with, with these pagans. And so Ahab does this, and I want you to notice what the Bible says. Look at, uh, uh, look at verse 31 again. It came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, that he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went to serve Baal and worshipped him. So, history tells us who Jezebel's dad is. He's a real man in history. This, this man, Ethbaal, he was a priest of, the, of Asherah in Tyre, and he ended up killing the king of Tyre and taking over the kingdom. And he reigned for like 30-some years. So, here is the woman, the Ahab, who is rotten. His dad is bad. He, his dad is the worst, and he outdoes his dad. And he goes and he finds this woman, who's the daughter of a pagan idol's priest, who killed the king of that nation and took over. So you can understand. I mean, just how bad this is. And if you look at verse thirty-one, it says that that, that taking part in the sins of Jeroboam, which were like the worst you could do. That was a trivial thing compared to bringing in Jezebel. Think about what that's saying. The, 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 this idolatry that was brought in with the golden calves and doing all these different things, all that was a small thing compared when you think about bringing in Jezebel because that's even worse than all the other. That's the type of woman this guy married. Now, I want to tell you, this does have application for us today because one thing it teaches us is we need to pay attention to who it is that we marry. We need to pay attention to who it is that we date. We need to pay attention to who it is that, that has that, 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 that influence on us. Because it would, be, it would be better, it would have been better for him, and it would be better today to be single than be, to have a bad spouse. It would be better to be single than to have somebody who would draw you away from following the Lord. As a Christian, we need to be selective about who we marry and about, by extension, who we date. Now, in the New Testament, Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 and 15. He says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership, your Bible may render that, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? That's the devil. Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Listen, you don't have to wonder. Sometimes you hear people talk, oh, well, I wish I knew what God's will for my life was. Should I marry this person or that person? Should I date this person or that person? If you are thinking about marriage and you're a Christian and that person's not, you don't even have to pray about it. Because the Bible says don't be unequally yoked. Don't marry them. The end. Period. It's not God's will for you to do that. At least not at this point. Now if they get saved, it might be a different story. But how many of us, I know many of us here are married, many of us can attest to the fact that a good and godly spouse is a gift from God. Having a godly spouse is a gift from the Lord. And, and, and what happens is, those people that we have in our lives, that, that, that we're married to, they have so much influence on us, that, that they can bring us up, or they can bring us down. They can encourage us in our walk with the Lord, or they can discourage us in our walk with the Lord. 
And you need to look as you are considering who maybe is, is in your life. You need to figure out who it is that's going to draw you closer to God and who it is that's going to be pushing you away from God and use that as a, as a gauge. The second thing I want you to see in our text and by the life of Jezebel is that she hated God and His people. She hated God and His people. Now we've already looked at this a little bit but I, I just want to point out she's not what you might call an angry atheist. She's not what you might call an antagonistic agnostic. There are people who hate God simply because they hate all religious faith. They, they, they tend to have the strongest feelings about Christianity, but some people just, I mean, religion as a whole is just off the table for them. Jezebel was not that type of woman. Jezebel was a religious woman. We, we saw that she imported the worship of Baal and Asheroth. Now, Baal was... One they worshipped as the, the god of weather and fertility and, and storms. And that's why, you remember, uh, Elijah had the showdown on, on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal? You remember this? And what did he say? He said, you have, you, you, you have your god send fire down from heaven, quite possibly calling down lightning. And what happened? I mean, th- this was right up his alley. It's not like they thought that, that Baal was the god of this and 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 Elijah challenged him to, to do something else. He says, this is, this is in your God's wheelhouse. You have him answered by fire. And of course, he couldn't do it because he doesn't exist. But Asherah was his consort in that religion. They, they were worshipped together as a fertility cult. And so she brought in the Asherah. She brought in uh, the, the, the Baal worship. And so she, she is likely sincere in her beliefs. But listen, sincerity of belief is not the issue. Correctness of belief is the issue. Because you can sincerely believe that you can fly, just like Superman. And you get up in an airplane and step out of that airplane without a parachute, believing you can fly. You can be sincere, but you'll be sincerely flat on the ground. You'll be sincerely dead, because you're sincerely wrong. The, the issue is not sincerity of belief, but correctness of belief. There's one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. It's not all these other religions. It's through Jesus Christ alone. Now, if you look at chapter 18 that we, that we read, I mentioned a man by the name of Obadiah. Now, this is not the Obadiah that, that wrote the book in the Old Testament. But if you'll notice verses 3 and 4, it says that, that Jezebel instituted a pogrom against the prophets of the Lord. She, she was wiping them out. She was killing them. She was having them murdered for being followers of God, for speaking for the Lord. If you were a follower of God during their reign, there was danger associated with it. It carried a death sentence along with it. So Obadiah, the Bible says, hid 100 of these prophets in caves and supplied them with food and water. Now remember, this is during a drought. So this was no small feat. 100 mouths is a lot to feed. And so he's doing this. And then later in chapter 18, we have that famous showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. But what we often don't realize or remember is that it wasn't just the prophets of Baal who were there. If you read back just a, a verse or two, there were also 400 prophets of, of Asherah that Jezebel was also taking care of, feeding them from her own table. 850 prophets she was taking care of. So her issue was not that she was irreligious. Her issue was that she hated God, and she hated God's people. Now what I'm saying is there are people, there are people back then, and there are people today who hate God, and hate 
God's people. Now, she put her hatred into action. She had the power to do it. She was despotic. She, she, she took people's lives unjustly, unfairly. There are times in, in uh, even in our own day, our own era of history, and especially socialist countries and, and things like that, when if you are a person of faith, it is dangerous for you to even live. But listen, you don't have to live behind the Iron Curtain to experience hatred and discrimination for your faith. There are people in your workplace that may badmouth you, may badmouth your faith. They may badmouth you because of who you worship. There, there may be people on your sports team who ostracize you for, for, for being a Christian. I can assure you, if you take your stand in, in, in the public square, whether it be online or in person, you're going to have some unkind things said about you. You're going to have, you're going to have people call you names. You'll be mistreated. And listen, this is to be expected. Jesus told us this would happen in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 to 12. It says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's, it's the same same. Same song, just a different verse. Old Testament happened to Elijah. New Testament, or, or, or in, in today's society, it happens today. It, it looks different, but it's the, same, it's the same feeling. It's the same spirit behind it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 2 Peter chapter, or 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 16, again, talks about don't be surprised when you have bad stuff happen because this is a trying of your faith. And, and, and it, is, it is a good thing. It, you're blessed when people revile you for the name of Christ. So, so Jezebel hated God, hated his people, and we shouldn't be surprised if we see some of that in our own day. The last thing I want you to see is her eventual downfall. Her eventual downfall. Now, if you look at chapter 21, it's the last, uh, last passage that we looked at. In chapter 21, uh, starting in verse 20 and following... Um, we, we, we really jump in at the end of a text. And what happened in, uh, in that chapter is Ahab, you remember he's the king, he was no good. There was a guy named Naboth who had a vineyard next to his palace. And he really wanted this piece of property. Maybe you, maybe you can identify, maybe you've had a piece of land and your neighbor has an adjoining piece of land and you just really like to have it. And you've gone to that person and said, hey, what would it take to buy that piece of land? What, 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 it, could, would you be interested in selling? Because I'd really like to have it. it. It butts up to my land. It's real pretty. I'd just like to have it. And they said, no, I'm not interested in selling. I'm not interested in selling. Well, if you, ever, if you ever do, I'd like to have first shot at it. Maybe you've done something like that. Ahab was doing the, this type of thing with Naboth. He's pressuring him, trying to cajole him, trying to get him to sell this piece of land. The issue was in... In, in that context, God had, God had allotted certain pieces of land to certain tribes and families. That happened in the book of Joshua. Joshua comes in, the, the conquest of Canaan and so forth. And God said, this is yours and th- this, is a, this is going to be a piece of land that stays in your family and in your tribe forever. You can sell it. It reverts back to the time of Jubilee. But, but really the emphasis is don't sell it for the most part. And so, so Ahab comes and says, 
I want to buy this land from you. And he's saying, I want to buy it and keep it. And Naboth says, I can't do that. Because God said, don't do that. And so Naboth, or Ahab gets unhappy with Naboth. He starts pouting. He goes home. And the Bible says that he lays down on the bed. And he turns and faces the wall. He's like a, a small child having a, a hissy. And he, he lays there and he's pouting. And, and Jezebel comes in and says, what's wrong? And this is my, this is my summation, of course. He says, what's wrong? And he tells her, she says, aren't you the king of Israel? Tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of your, your Naboth problem. And again, this is summary. And so here's her plan. She, she pays people. She, she sets this situation up where they have this big feast and all these people stand up, perjure themselves, and say, I heard Naboth blaspheme God. Now, the, the penalty for blasphemy back then was stoning to death. And so these guys, they, they make a false testimony. Naboth is stoned to death. And so she goes in and says, hey, Ahab, you know that piece of land you wanted? It's all yours. And so Ahab goes out. He's checking it out. And that's where we pick up in our text in chapter 21, verse 20. He's out there checking it out, and here comes Elijah because God sent him. And Elijah pronounces a judgment on Ahab and says, this is what's going to happen to you, this is what's going to happen to your descendants. And it's not just you, if you'll notice, he also talks about what's going to happen to Jezebel. Uh, verse 24, right at the end, the dogs will eat, uh, the one belonging to Ahab who dies in the sea, the dogs will eat. And the one who dies in the field, the birds of the heaven will eat. Um, oh, well, my, I'm, I'm missing. Anyway, it's in there. <laughs> he says, Jezebel, you're going to get eaten by dogs. You say, now how in the world is that going to happen? Now, if you remember the story of Jezebel, you might remember Jehu, who is anointed as king, drives up in his chariot. She's up in, a, up in an upstairs room. She comes out, paints her eyes, puts on makeup. And comes out and starts mouthing off to Jehu. And Jehu says, who's with me? And a couple of officials appear in the window. And he says, throw her out, boys. And they, whoop, off she goes, right out the window. That's, that is my uh, exaggeration, but not much. If you'll read what it said, he says, who's with me? They show up and he says, throw her out. They throw her out the window. She falls and guess what he does? He does not render first aid. Instead, the Bible says that he drove his chariot over her. Now remember, it's like driving over with the car because the horse is stomping on her and the, the wheels, and I mean, it, it's, it's pretty grisly. And I think this is in I think it's 2 Kings 9 or somewhere around there. If, you don't have to look at it now, but if you want to see some, some gross stuff in the Bible, that's, that's one place where you can do it. And so he does this, and here's how, here's how cold he is. He does it and then says, time to eat. So he goes in and starts having a meal. And as he's sitting there eating, he says, you know what? She's a king's daughter. Let's bury her. So he sends people out to bury her. They go out to get the body. And all that's there is her skull, the palms of her hands, and her feet. Because the dogs have eaten her. Just like God said it. And so we see her downfall foretold. And then we see it fulfilled. Now, I am not saying that everybody who is opposed to God who's in rebellion against God, who, who, who mistreats a Christian, is going to have a grisly fate like this. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that God is not mocked. And a person may oppose God, rebel against Him, mistreat His people, and all the rest, but they don't get away with it. 
there will be justice done, if not in this life, in the next. Because each of us one day is going to stand before God. Jezebel stood before God. She was proud, she was haughty, she was rebellious, and she stood before God. And, and even if a person dies of old age, they'll stand before God. And all sin's going to be punished. You'll either suffer the consequences of that sin in hell, or Jesus suffered the consequences of that sin on the cross. Because the Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, and the Bible says that, that He is our propitiation. He satisfied the justice of God due to our sin. And today, if you would trust in Christ for salvation, you'll be saved. And it may be that that, that doesn't really apply to you. Maybe you're a Christian. You did that a long time ago. Listen, maybe the encouragement that you, that you need is to, is to continue on, to keep going. Maybe you've been mistreated. Maybe you've been ostracized. Maybe you've been standing alone. You feel like nobody sees it, nobody knows. The Lord sees. The Lord takes note. He cares. One day He'll right the wrongs. He'll vindicate the mistreated. Psalm 56 says that the stores are here in a bottle. And, and, and they're written down in a book. You may feel like God's forgotten you, but He hasn't. It may, need, may be that you need to think about who it is that you're in a relationship with. Maybe if you're considering who to date, who to marry, you need to pay attention to, 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 to not what they say as much as what they do. How do they live? Be choosy. And for those of us who are Christians and we have a godly spouse, that is something to be thankful for. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I again just want to offer and extend this time of of response. Again, maybe your response is thankfulness and gratitude that God has put you with a godly spouse. Maybe it's that God has restored your marriage, that He has saved your spouse, maybe that He saved you after you got married. Yeah, maybe it's this 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 need for encouragement. Ask God to to help you, to strengthen you, to, to stand with you in your place of work, in your school, in your community. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that um, we, we thank you for those good examples in the Bible. People like Noah, people like Sarah, people that we can look at, learn from, aspire to live those good qualities out in our own lives. But God, we also thank you for those bad examples that, that show us how not to live. And God, I pray that you'd help us to learn from their, uh, from their bad example, from their mistakes, so we don't have to make them ourselves. And Lord, as, as some of us may be considering... Uh, relationships. I pray for, that you would give us wisdom. For those of us who are 
in those relationships. Lord, we, we thank you for the godly ones. Lord, we, we pray for those who maybe are, are married to, to somebody who's not a believer, and we pray for their salvation. And God, as always, I pray that you would work in each of our hearts, encourage those who need it, that you would comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. In Jesus' name, amen.